That was weird. Y'all got quiet. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? Good? No? Good? Yeah. Hey, you're alive, right? You're able to get up. Maybe a little slower, but that's all right. You still got up. I'm glad. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the awesome God that you are. We, we ask that you would bless our service today. We pray that uh, the things that we learn today that we would put into practice because we are supposed to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Lord, I ask that you would um, just give us a great day in your house as we fellowship one with another, as we worship you with our voices and our, our, our uh, offerings, uh, and also worshiping you by listening, focusing on what you'd want to say to us. Uh, we thank you, God, for your goodness, your greatness, your, your love, your blessings. There's just so much that you do for us that we take for granted. Help us, Lord, not to do that. And uh, we just love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's do some uh, announcements first to, to get us started. Uh, first off, out on the, on the, in, in the foyer... In the foyer, right? That's where you have these? Yes. Yes. Uh, in the foyer, there is these red pieces of paper. You say, what is that? Uh, this is for, we're doing something a little different this year. On December 3rd, uh, we're going to have a Christmas scene. Uh, she puts it in here, make a joyful noise. So I guess you don't have to sound good. Um, this is probably a blessing then, right? <laughs> Uh, but uh, what we're going to do is just have some uh, some singing, some hot chocolate cookies and whatnot. Uh, that's from 5.30 to 7. And uh, invite everybody. And if anybody has any hidden musical talents, we'd love for you to put those on display for us. Uh, be involved with uh, that. So maybe you play an instrument. Uh, maybe you sing. I don't know. Uh, see Cheryl. She will get you hooked up, uh, signed up for that. Um, let's see what else we got uh, tonight. We're having our full festival still on right, Katie. Yes. All right. Rain or shine. Well, there is, I don't doubt, I doubt there's going to be any shine, but, uh, uh, it's still out there. You got a barn that we can all, fa- someone asked me, is the barn big enough? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I figured that. I figured that. Uh, but that's at four o'clock out, uh, uh in, the, at Katie's house. The address is there in the bulletin. Um, also, next Sunday, we're having a quick uh, special business meeting after the morning service. Uh, also, no carrying dinner that day. And then uh, November 12th, we are um, doing our Veterans Day and Thanksgiving dinner uh, following the, the worship service. And uh, it's always a good time of fellowship, always some great food. And uh, hopefully all will be there for that. Uh, November 22nd is Thanksgiving service at 7 uh, November 23rd, okay, November 22nd, that's a Tuesday, just reminding you. Uh, we'll also be taking uh, the, the Lord's Supper that night. And then the 23rd is uh, the, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We're not going to have service that night. And then uh, December 2nd, it's not in the bulletin, but I'm telling you anyway, uh, the Ladies Ornament Exchange is going to be at Shannon's house starting at noon, correct? Yes, noon. So uh, we'll... As we get more room in the bulletin for that, we'll, we'll put that in there. Um, okay. I think that's all of those. Why don't you stand with me? Let's sing, let's sing some songs to the Lord. Let's worship Him with our voices. First song we're going to sing is page 120, He Hideth My Soul. Amen. 
song we're going to sing is uh, 10,000 Reasons Bless the Lord.
Good to see you today. And you may be seated. All right. <clears throat> the last song we're going to sing at this time is uh, in your hymnal, page number two. We're going to sing How Great Thou Art. And uh, also we will be taking up our offering during this song.
Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow with humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Amen. Rick, would you ask God to bless the offering, sir? Why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 1. As I, uh, We are in uh, our study of prayer, beyond prayer, a biblical perspective on the power of prayer. And today's t- the title of today's message is The Kind of Prayer That God Answers the kind of prayer that God answers. Now, the title of this sermon may make it seem like I know the secret to getting God to do what you want Him to do, but please understand it doesn't work like that. Um, there are prayers, maybe even some honest, uh, some honest, great prayers that we have and that we give to God, but God's not going to answer them. God doesn't answer every single prayer. We've talked about this. In fact, God will not listen to some prayers, much less answer them. And this is why the prayer recorded in Nehemiah chapter 1 is such a great example for us today. Nehemiah was preoccupied with God's tendency to ignore certain prayers. He understood that you needed to go go to God in the right way. You need to, 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 to honor Him in the right way. Way. If you look at the beginning of verse number 6, he says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant. Near the end of the prayer, he urged God in verse number 11, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Now, of course, God doesn't necessarily have ears. These statements are called anthropomorphisms. You say, that's a big word. I know, I had to look it up. <laughs> uh, anthropomorphism. What is that? It's a big old word that basically means the tendency to a- a- attribute human forms, human behaviors, human emotions to non-human animals or objects. You say, what are you talking about? Think Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, those 
characters have been anthropomorphized. They've been given human characteristics and behaviors. Okay. Uh, now, does God have ears? We don't know for sure. We are created in his image. Does he look exactly like us? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, what, I believe what, what uh, Nehemiah is trying to get across here um, is that even what is stated in John chapter 4, that God is a spirit um, and, and therefore doesn't necessarily have eyes or, uh, or ears. But Nehemiah ascribes these physical features to God to make a statement of how displeased God is with some prayers. Uh, think about it. I mean, it, it, God may find some prayer so unacceptable, it would be like he would plug his ears and say, la, 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 I can't hear you. Now that seems, well, that's kind of rude. Now, why would he cover his eyes so that he couldn't see? Why would he do that? But, but, but that didn't happen with Nehemiah. God heard and God answered Nehemiah's prayer. So this transcript of Nehemiah's prayer teaches us the kind of prayer that God answers. Now, as I said, I'm not going to give you some easy formula to figure out how to get all God to do everything you want him to do. So don't expect any shortcuts here. I plan to give you kind of not a shortcut, but the scenic route um, to, to answer prayer. So here's the key. You ready for it? Y'all ready? Okay, like three of you are. Okay, that's okay. Um, hopefully all the will join in here. But um, here it is, the key. God typically answers prayer that is offered by a person who is totally committed to him. You want your prayers answered? You need to be committed to the Lord. Answered prayer is the natural overflow of a committed life. The life of the one praying is more important to God than the words that he is praying. Why did God answer Nehemiah's prayer? It wasn't just the right words in the right way, in the right order. God accepted Nehemiah's prayer because God accepted Nehemiah. It is not what was being said as much as who it was that was talking James chapter 5, verse 16, the latter part of that verse, puts it this way. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Translation, God is not moved by wordy, eloquent, vain repetition, emotional intensity, high volume, name it, claim it, or any other religious hocus pocus. But when a person whose heart is right prays, God's ears are open, God's eyes are attentive, and God's hands are outstretched to answer their prayer. Okay then, what must I do to get God's attention in prayer? How should I pray to win God's approval? Is there a way to pray that moves God to act in our uh, um, behalf? Now, I don't know about you, but when I pray, I don't want God to cover his ears, right? I don't want God to, uh, I want God to like take off his headphones, you know, tell those angels to pipe down because I'm talking to him. And I want him to lean down from his throne and have heaven, you know, have his full attention to listen to my prayer. The prayer of Nehemiah teaches uh, of several important aspects to the kind of prayer that God answers. What's the first one? The first one is that we need to have sincere, sincerity in our prayers. Now, 
we'll get there here in just a moment. Let me give you a little background. The book of Nehemiah opens up in the home of King Artaxerxes uh, of Persia. Nehemiah is there to fulfill his official duties as the royal cupbearer. One day, Nehemiah is serving, and his brother, Hanani, shows up with several others from Judah for a visit. Now, you can imagine this joyful reunion, uh, warm fellowship, having seen each other for a while. Look, verse number 1 of Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hakaliah, uh, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So he's like, hey, man, great to see you. How are things going? How's the rebuilding the uh, Jerusalem and everything going on? But the mood quickly changed when Nehemiah asked about how that was all going. Verse number 3. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are burned with fire. The remnant. These are the people uh, that uh, they were from Israel. God basically had to kick them out of Israel because of their sin. They weren't following him, and so he kicked them out. They were taken captive by the Babylonians, who then were taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And so uh, whenever the Medes and the Persians came into power, uh, they allowed them to go back to their promised land. So 70 years they were not in their homeland of Israel. Um, and, and so now they're starting to trickle back into it. And he's wanting to know, how are things going for you all? Uh, are things going well? And, they, and he said, no, it's not going well. Uh, the, the town is in shambles. The gates are, 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 are burned. The walls have been torn down. It's just horrible. And, and the Bible says that when Nehemiah heard this, that he wept and mourned. Not just for a few minutes, but it said for many days. So it was, verse number four, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He was inconsolable. Now it's natural for Nehemiah to grieve. Sometimes life stinks. Has life ever stunk for you before? Right? Yeah, yeah. Life stinks sometimes. It does. There's no question about it. Uh, There is nothing spiritual about acting as if life doesn't hurt when life stinks. The Word of God tells us about many godly men, including Abraham, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Paul, who wept and mourned. Jesus even wept and mourned. We're not instructed from Scripture uh, not to hurt when life stinks. We are instructed to pray in the midst of the hurt when life stinks. We are exhorted not to sorrow as those who have no hope. Nehemiah sorrowed at the bad news, but he had hope. As Nehemiah wept and mourned, he also fasted and prayed. Nehemiah prayed and he prayed sincerely. And the sincerity of his prayer is evident by what he says. Let's look here. Verse number 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who kept your covenant and mercy with those who you love. I'm sorry, who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel from which we have sinned against you. 
Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, or the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are... If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. The fact that Nehemiah prayed so sincerely is also seen when he prayed. Not just what he prayed. He prayed immediately. Nehemiah did not go and get advice from other people. He didn't make a plan. He didn't take action before he took the matter to the Lord. Before he did anything else, Nehemiah prayed about it. That's the kind of prayer that God answers. God's going to answer those who make prayer their first response, not their last resort. Now don't get me wrong, Nehemiah definitely was a man of action. The book of Nehemiah is a masterful manual on the leadership, effective leadership, wise planning, shrewd organization, focused activity, and an unwavering diligence. But Nehemiah did not make a single move without prayer. Read the book of Nehemiah. Not right now. Okay. But read the book of Nehemiah. And you will see that Nehemiah handled everything with sincere prayer. Sincere prayer recognizes all that can be done once you pray. But you can't do anything about your issue until you pray. Sincere prayer recognizes that when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. Sincere prayer recognizes that God works after our prayer. And it drives me nuts when I hear someone say, well, you've tried everything else, why don't you try praying? I mean, I get the sentiment. I know they mean well, but it's really that kind of hypocrisy. If you only go to God after you've tried everything else that you could do in your own strength, your prayers will inevitably lack one of the most important things that God is looking for in prayer childlike dependence on him. God is ready. He is willing. He is able to help those who trust him. God, I believe, is dishonored when we treat him as our heavenly 911. Think about it. If you only call him in emergencies and the big stuff, and you think you can handle the small stuff, that's the opposite of what 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us. that uh, He says, casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He didn't say just the big stuff. He said everything. If it troubles you, give it to God. A pastor was visiting a troubled member with many afflictions. And uh, this, this lady was very discouraged. And she unloaded her worries onto her pastor. And she says, what do I do now? And the pastor really wasn't sure. And so to kind of buy some time, he read some scripture to her. And then he gave her probably the most practical advice he could offer. He says, you cannot do better than to take all of your sorrows to Jesus. He said, you must tell Jesus. And the woman thought about it. 
and her countenance changed. With great joy, she agreed with her pastor. She says, yes, I must tell Jesus. Yes, I must tell Jesus. The pastor, his name was Elisha Hoffman. And as he was returning back to his study, those words just kept going over and over in his mind. I must tell Jesus. And by the time he got back to his study, he had written the song, the words to the song that we sing still today. I must tell Jesus. All of my trials, I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distresses, in my distress, He kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for His own. That was written over a hundred years ago, but still applicable for us today that we must tell Jesus, no matter the prayer, the big emergency, or the everyday concern, sincere prayer means that we have faith in and dependence on God. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Ask in faith. So the first type of answer, kind of answer that God answers is a sincere one. The second type that's recorded here is a reverent prayer. Nehemiah went to the Lord with a heavy burden. His heart was so troubled that he sat on the floor weeping and mourning for many days. Yet Nehemiah did not rush into God's presence for the gimmies. Remember we talked about these, the gimmies? You're familiar with those? That's like, Lord, um, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. We give him the laundry list of all the things we think God needs to do for us. Give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. He didn't do that. He didn't rush into the gimmies. Okay? What did he do instead? Nehemiah does not mention the issue that led him to prayer until the very end of the prayer. Instead, Nehemiah begins his prayer with the words of worship, adoration, and praise. Look at verse 5. He recognized the transcendence of God, Lord God of heaven. He ascribed majesty to God, O great and awesome God. He honored the faithfulness of God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. That was verse 5, by the way. I forgot. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. This is the kind of prayer that God answers, reverent, worshipful, God-intoxicated. But unfortunately, that's not the way we usually go to the Lord in prayer. We go, we, unfortunately, we are so apt to be so casual about our Heavenly Father. Now, don't get me wrong. We ought to be able to understand the relationship. He is our Heavenly Father. We can go to Him as a child goes to their, their, their parents. But so often we have this view. We have such a low view of God. We don't recognize God's sovereignty, His sovereign authority over our lives as we should. And that lack of reverence is often demonstrated in how we pray. Could this be the reason why you do not see more answers to your prayers? Do, you pray, do your prayers uh, lack a proper sense of reverence toward the Heavenly Father? Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? It was, it was God who called the, the world out of nothing with only His voice, declaring, let there be light. 
It was God who sent the earth spinning on its axis. It was God who made the sun from the brilliance of His own face. It was God who flung the stars against the dark night. It was God who put the fluffy white clouds in the blue sky. It was God who gave the lion its war, the cow its moo, the duck its quack, and the dog its bark. It was God who took a lump of clay and stamped His image into it and made man. Put the drive for truth in man's heart. And then he exhaled and man became alive. It was God who robbed himself. I'm sorry. Robed himself. Words matter. (laughs) Uh, He robed himself in flesh. Lived as a blue collar worker. From an ancient town near, uh, called Nazareth to bear our sins on the cross. That is who we are praying to. Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? Listen, when you don't begin your prayers the way Nehemiah did, you will not be able to uh, conclude your prayers the way that Nehemiah did. How did he conclude it? Verse 11, And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah prayed that this, uh, um, as the cup bearer, of the king. Now, the king, who was the king? King was his name was Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire. It ruled the majority of the known world at that time. He was a very powerful man on the face of the earth. Probably the most powerful man on the face of the earth. There was no high, human being higher than him. But Nehemiah did not refer to him as great or mighty. Or sovereign, Artaxerxes? He didn't do that. He didn't even refer to him as the king. Nehemiah just said, this man. Help me to be prosperous before this man. To Nehemiah, Artaxerxes was just another guy. Nehemiah could think and talk his way uh, uh, about Artaxerxes because he first magnified the greatness and the glory of the Lord God in prayer. Try it. Do that. Before you tell God how big your problems are, tell God how big He is. Exalt the Lord in prayer. Worship Him. Reverence the true and living God. Then watch your view of your circumstances change. You see, because the greater that God becomes in you, the smaller your problems will become. When life gets hard, we have to make worship our top priority. God is worthy of our worship no matter what is going on in our lives. When trouble comes, you need to remind God that, well, you don't need to remind God anything because He knows it all. Uh, You need to be reminded that God is God. He is still the same God. Same God that created the universe. The same God that loves us. When, when uh, God is, is worthy of your worship. You know, your mate is not God. God is God. Your children are not God. God is God. Your boss isn't God. God is God. Your teachers and your classmates are not God. God alone is God. And we need to reverence Him because He deserves it because of who He is. That's the second type of prayer that God answers. A sincere prayer, a reverent prayer. The third one, an honest prayer. 
you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, aren't all prayers honest? Well, sometimes we don't get honest enough. Okay? You see, after offering God words of adoration, Nehemiah moves from worship to confession. His reverence for God led him to deal with things that were standing between him and God. Nehemiah confessed that the children of Israel had sinned. His family had sinned. He himself had sinned. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you, he confessed in verse number 7. Then Nehemiah acknowledged that the destructions of the city was deserved because they did not follow the Lord the way they were supposed to. Look at verse 8. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. The sinfulness of Israel was great, and God had given them what they deserved. And just as a side note, be very careful about complaining what you deserve. You know, maybe you, you think you deserve something better than what you're experiencing because the reality is um, you don't want God to give you what you really deserve because it's not good what we really deserve. Uh, hold your place there, Nehemiah. Flip over to Psalm chapter 32. You would think Nehemiah's confession of sin would have caused God to kind of ignore his prayer, you know. But the opposite is true. It's true of Nehemiah. It's true of us as well. Confession actually motivates God uh, to, to respond favorably to his and our prayers. This is the kind of prayer God answers. God answers honest prayer. King David wrote here uh, in Psalm 32, was honest before God about his sins and about their consequences. Look at verse number 3. Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Scriptures tell us to, uh, the outcome of honest confession of our sins. It says in uh, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unfortunately, though, confession is, a, is practically ignored in our prayers. We're not honest with God about the sin in our lives. Why? Because we like doing them. Am I wrong? We like to be selfish. We like it when things go our way. We want it to do the. We're not honest with God about our sins. We need to get honest. So, as a result, when we are not honest, our prayers go unanswered. Psalm, 40, uh, Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Yet we go on lying to God about who we are. We lie to people. We lie to, uh, about our lives. We, we, we lie even to ourselves. And when we fail to view God through the lens of respect and reverence, we inevitably will try to earn God's favor by trying to, 
well, I'll just work harder at being good. That doesn't work. It's impossible to be honest with God when you're trying to impress Him. And that leads us to become hypocrites, which flows into all of our relationships when we're not honest about our sins. And as a result, honesty uh, with others and with self is very valuable and is seldom found in either the world or the church. Why? We fear that if we bear our souls... We will be abandoned by friends and we'll be ridiculed by our enemies. But the good news for us is that there is someone we can trust with all of our sins, all of our weaknesses, all of our limitations. And it's the same one that we can keep, uh, well, it's the same one that we keep running from. Because he is holy, because he is just, because of his holy wrath. How can that be? Because God is holy and we are rebels who break his law. Listen to Nehemiah's prayer here. He recalls God's warning to Israel. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. This is exactly what God did in the Babylonian captivity. But God didn't stop there. He not only issued a warning, but he also made a promise in verse 9. He says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, uh, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. God is a holy God. And in his holiness, he says to us, if you turn from me, I will punish you. But God is also a God of love. And in his love, God says, but if you return to me, I'll pardon you. I'll forgive you. That's an amazing thing. God is willing to give us another chance. God will not only forgive you, he will also restore you. He says, even if you're, you're cast to the farthest parts of the heaven, I'll get you. I'll bring you back. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it, nor how far you have gone doing it. God is waiting for you to trust him enough to be honest so that he can restore you by his grace. I read a story of a man who was driving along the turnpike one day. In the car he was following suddenly well, so suddenly someone opened up the uh, passenger door and threw out a dog. Just driving down the road, threw out a dog. The dog hit the concrete, rolled into the ditch, bleeding profusely. What did the dog do? Did it just sit there and mope? No, it got up and started running after the car, running after the owner who cruelly abandoned him. His relentless Faithfulness to his owner was not diminished by the abuse and disregard of his master. But this dog's determination to pursue the one, the one who rejected him, pales into con- in comparison to the stubborn love of God. Think about it. We keep kicking God out of the car and keep going down the road going, I'm doing what I want to do. But God in his... I don't know if you want to use the word stubborn love. But he loves us so much he's going to 
continue to go after us, even when we've kicked him out of the car. We keep kicking him to the curb. Worse, we hung him on the cross. And though we did this to the lover of our souls, he keeps pursuing us with his furious love. Why? Why does God continue to love us? I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty horrible person. You say, wow, and you're a pastor? Yeah. You're just as bad as me. So don't you be thinking that you're all good, okay? There's none righteous, no, not one. Each and every single one of us is horrible. We're sinners. We're detestable to God. Then why does God continue to love us? Why has God not just wiped us out once and for all? Why does God keep extending His uh, another chance to us? Well, Nehemiah, I think, answers that. Look at verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah says, Lord, the people are no good. I am no good, but we're yours. You redeemed us by your great power and your outstretched hand. And I love that. Family and friends may reject you if you fail to live up to their standards along the way, but before the journey ever begins with God, He says, Now, I know you're going to miss the mark. I know you're going to fall short. I know you're going to turn away from me at some point. But I want you to know that whatever happens, I'm not changing my mind about you. Oh, how awesome is that? God says, you're still mine. Oh, we sin against the Lord time and time again. Even as believers, as people who have put our faith and trust in God, we are His. And so many times we turn our back on God and God still says, you're mine. I love you so much that I'm going to chase after you even if you kick me out of the car. And I knew you were going to do it before I even saved you. Praise the Lord, that's awesome. Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. We are not, but He is. You want your prayers answered? You want to have the kind of prayers that God's going to answer? You've got to have sincere prayers, reverent prayers, honest prayers. And the last one, believing prayers. Nehemiah believed that God would do something. So much so that he made himself available to God to do something about the situation. He was even willing to leave his white-collar job as a royal executive to go rebuild the walls of uh, Jerusalem. Yet nothing would be accomplished in his own strength, his own wisdom, his own authority. No matter how willing Nehemiah was, he understood that the success of the entire project rested in the sovereign hands of God. So he prayed boldly. He prayed specifically. He prayed courageous prayers. The latter part of verse 11 says, 
uh, uh, let your servant prosper this day, for I pray, uh, I pray, and, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That was a big, audacious prayer. And I know that it may not seem that way on, on the surface, but the last sentence of verse 11 says, shows the magnitude of that prayer. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now we'll get into that. What is that? Well, uh, the ancient Near East was definitely not the land of the free in the home of the brave. Political leaders were, uh, did not transfer power by any democratic process. Kings ruled with absolute authority and power. If someone wanted to be king, the only way they could be king is to assassinate the other king. Knowing this, these kings would assign somebody called a cupbearer. The role of a cupbearer is just like what it sounds. He carries the king's cup around. He was the official food taster and wine taster. Uh, the king would be offered a drink. The cupbearer would first take a drink of it. And if the taster didn't die then the king would take a drink or take uh, uh, continue to eat it. And as you could imagine, the cupbearer became an extremely trusted position. Eventually, the cupbearer became probably one of the most important cabinet positions in the kingdom. The king trusted the cupbearer with his own life. And so Nehemiah couldn't just run into the throne room and tell Artaxerxes that he was taking an indefinite leave of absence to ask the king to, uh, to leave his assignment, it was a dangerous thing. More so, the reason Nehemiah wanted to leave was even more dangerous. Convinced that Jerusalem uh, was filled with political troublemakers, the king had previously ordered that Jerusalem not be rebuilt. That's found in Ezra chapter 4. This was an impossible mission. Nehemiah planned to go to the king and ask his permission to rebuild this banned city. And so he would also need to ask for not only the permission to do that, but ask for the resources to rebuild it, as well as the troops to protect him. All of the odds were stacked against him. But Nehemiah knew a king that was greater than King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah talked to that greater king before he ever went to King Artaxerxes. He asked the Lord to make him success, successful and to grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He prayed that the Lord would touch the heart of Artaxerxes so that he would receive all that he needed to get the Lord's work done. And what's amazing? God answered his prayer. God said, okay, cool. You don't think this is going to happen. It shouldn't happen. You look at the world today, it shouldn't happen that way. For the king to say, my tr most trusted guy, you can take a few months off. And here, let me not only do that, but let me continue to pay you. And let me give you the resources you need to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates. And I'm going to send some troops along to all, all with you so that you are protected. So the king paid for it. That just doesn't happen. But God answered Nehemiah's prayer. Artaxerxes granted Nehemiah permission to return to his homeland, to rebuild the walls that were broken down. That's in Nehemiah chapter 2. And the king also assigned a royal guard to accompany him, lest any danger befall him. Artaxerxes even sent Nehemiah with a voucher to get all the wood that he would ever need to not only build that wall, but also enough wood to build his own house while he lived there during his stay. You see, God honored Nehemiah... Nehemiah's prayer because Nehemiah had great faith in God. He believed that God was God. 
He walked by faith, not by sight. He tried something so great for God that he was sure to fail if the Lord didn't help him do it. That's the kind of prayer God answers. God answers believing prayers. Well, what is it that you need God to do in your life? Whatever it is, I got some great news for you. God is able to do it. God is able to put your marriage back together. God is able to uh, bring your wandering child back home. God is able to heal uh, your, your sick and hurting body. God is able to straighten out your finances. God is able to save your loved ones. God is able to break your sinful habits that you are struggling with. God is able to fulfill every holy desire that you have and accomplish every deed prompted by your faith. But you see, the issue is not God's ability to move in the situation. The, the issue is whether you really believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Are you willing to step out in faith? Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Matthew 7.7 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. First John 5.14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God is able to answer your prayers. So what do we need to do? We need to pray sincerely. We need to pray honestly. We need to pray expectantly. Believing. I messed that all up. <laughs> you see him up there. Pray sincerely, pray reverently, pray honestly, pray believing. Does that mean that God has to do what you're asking Him to do? Please understand, no. But God is still God. It just wasn't His timing. Or it wasn't what He wanted you to do in that moment. But when it is in His will, and in His timing, you just... Watch what God can do when you're yielded to Him and you're praying these types of prayers. These are the things that God wants to do. God wants to answer those kinds of prayers. So what do you need? Why aren't you asking God? And if you've been asking, maybe you're asking wrong. Maybe you haven't Giving him the reverence that he is due. You just go to him and say, Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. God deserves to be praised. Would you stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for your word this morning, the challenge that it brings to us. I pray that we would learn to pray these types of prayers. I pray that we would have faith that is stretched. Faith that is that that will grow. And that we would trust you. We would believe in you. Lord, I know you haven't given us this magic formula to be able to get you to do whatever we want you to do because that's not the way you work and that's not who you are. But Lord, as we become more like you, as we become sanctified in our walk with you, 
our desires will align to your desires. And we will see you answer more prayers in amazing ways. In ways that only you can do them. Thank you, God, for the example of Nehemiah. Lord, I pray that you continue to challenge us about our prayer lives. Lord, I I think of uh, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you. They, They don't have a relationship with you. They don't have fellowship with you. Oh, maybe they've gone to church or know about church or know about you, but they don't have a personal relationship with you. I pray that you would work on their hearts. You would convict them of their sins that without a relationship with you, they're going to go to a place called hell. And when we put our faith and trust in you as our everlasting Savior, that we will get to be, spend an eternity with you in heaven. And you will help us to grow, to become more like you as we put our faith and trust in you. If there's someone here like that that doesn't know you, I pray that you give them the courage to talk to me or someone that they trust so that we can show them from your word how they can be saved. Thank you, God, for being God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Uh, Page 621, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Uh, Whatever your need is, I invite you to come this morning. you all for being here. Um, Don't forget the announcements and uh, hope to see you tonight uh, over at uh, Katie's place as we have our fall festival. Be a great time of fellowship. It's always a good time of fellowship. Hope you'll come out for that. All right, let's close in a word of prayer and uh, I'm going to ask Dave Weber, would you close our service in prayer, sir?